Yes, brother, that's my favorite line of that song. I will rise with all the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning, verses 42 through 47. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of it and apply its eternal truths to our hearts. You can be seated. As you're being seated, please bow with me. Father, your word is truth, just like Jesus said in John 17, 17. He said, Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And Lord, I pray that your truth would do what it does and that it would convict us of our sin. It would also convince us in our minds that it is true. Let your Holy Spirit would use it to do that. And Lord, that some sitting here this morning, if they don't know you yet, that he would work in their hearts, the, your Holy Spirit, and that they would come to know you. And for, Lord, for the rest of us that have been walking with you for a while now, Lord, please, we know that we have not arrived. We know that we have more areas that need to be conformed into the image of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would use this sermon this morning to do that. Help us be more like your dear Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. So as a teaser to this sermon series, I mentioned a few weeks ago that when we were missionaries, one thing that was easy for us to see in that culture was things that had been a part of their culture for a long time that maybe they didn't even realize shouldn't be in their culture according to the Word of God. And if they say they believe the Word of God, if they say that they're Christians, then really this certain thing that's in their culture that they really shouldn't be tolerating anymore should be just that, no longer tolerated. When we were missionaries in Belize, common law marriage was very common. <laughs> Children, if you don't know what that means, it basically means just two people that are living together that never actually got married. And so since they've been living together for such a long time, people just say, eh, they're married but they have not made any vow, any covenant before Almighty God or anything like that to create a real marriage. And so in God's eyes, they're not married. But it was so common, it was just so ingrained in the culture that even people in the church were just fine with it. Even some pastors were not married, but living with a woman he wasn't married to. And some churches just winked at it because it was so normal, ingrained, there were other things. There was a people group there named the Garifuna people. They were a long time ago from Africa, brought over as slaves, and were shipwrecked way out on one of the reefs, and then just made their way to places in Honduras, 
places in Belize and all along the coast there of the Gulf. And Well, there was a group of them in our town, too. They were usually Catholic. However, they would also give sacrifices to ancestors. They would also do this certain ceremony called a dugu, where they actually tried to get a virgin young girl possessed by one of the ancient ancestors so that that ancient ancestor could speak through her. Yes, normal stuff. And the Catholic Church, hey, no problem. Just keep coming to Mass and we're happy. That's not good either, is it? My friend Jeff, who was a missionary in Africa, told me that one thing that was sort of common over there among churchgoers is... If you were sick and you prayed for God to heal you and you weren't seeing that healing, it was really common for them to then go to the witch doctor too just to cover all their bases. Hey, we'll, we'll try this God that we now worship. But you know, maybe, maybe something of our old ways might work as well. And they would go to the witch doctor. And the church, a lot of people in the church just sort of winked at that and they were sort of okay with it. If there's anything in our culture that's different or completely contradicts the Word of God, what needs to change? Our culture or the Word of God? Well, of course, that was a softball I threw you. You can knock that one out of the park, right? The Word of God is unchanging, eternal, because God is unchanging and eternal. His Word stands firm in the heavens, we're told. So anything in any culture that differs from the Word of God is to be rejected. Because God can't bless what he's already said he's cursed. Right? God's not going to bless a church that's walking in things that he's made clear that he's already cursed. And maybe churches aren't seeing God's blessing as much as they could be because some things have crept in that now we just say are normal. Now, some of those things about our culture aren't always as blatantly sinful as living with someone that you're not married to, going to a witch doctor, trying to get someone possessed by an ancient ancestor. Those things are so easy to see, and of course we reject those easily. But there are even certain things in the American culture that I believe have crept in which keep our churches from being as blessed as they could be, and we're going to talk about that. But before we do, let's talk about the title of this sermon, which I've titled, The Focus of the New Testament Church. The Focus of the New Testament Church. As you might recall, last week's was the foundation of the New Testament Church. This week's is the focus of the New Testament Church. I want to see what the primary focus was. Four things, you've already seen them, in verse 42 of our section. Because if we look at the church in its pure form, when it was first birthed, What they were focused on is what we should be focused on. Anytime you can get back to the original source in its pure form of anything, that's when it's the best, right? And so, if our church in America is as close to the pure church of old, then we can expect God's blessings. However, if we have turned it into something different because of our cultural norms that we've been doing forever and it's just so normal. This is how everyone does it. Then maybe that's why we're not seeing God's hand as strong and powerful as we want to. 
So let's look. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, number one, and to the fellowship, number two, to the breaking of bread, number three, and the prayers. Those are the four things that the early church were primarily focused on. Four things, very simple. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And it says at the very beginning, they devoted themselves to this. Gave their whole self to it. Let's talk about the first one then, the apostles' teaching. Listen to what MacArthur said about this, John MacArthur. He said, the foundational content for the believer's spiritual growth and maturity was the scriptures, God's revealed truth, which the apostles received and taught faithfully. If you were here last week, we got to see the very first sermon preached after the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus' followers, the apostles and a few of the other followers who were with them. The Holy Spirit was poured out. They began to speak in other tongues so that people around them from all these other nations who were there for the holiday of Pentecost, the Jewish holiday of Pentecost, they come to Jerusalem for that. We saw 16 different types of people groups were there to celebrate that. They began speaking in other tongues. All these people hear the mighty works of God, we're told, in their own language. And 3,000 souls are added that day at the preaching of the apostles, giving the gospel, primarily Peter preaching this time. And 3,000 souls are added in one day. 3,000 souls are added in one day at the preaching of the gospel by the apostle Peter. And we saw the content of his sermon was what? The word of God. He quoted three different passages from Scripture, Joel, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110, in that one short sermon, calling people to repent, believe, be baptized. And they did. They were pricked in their conscience when they realized that the blood of Jesus was actually on their hands, and they were pricked to their conscience. So when the apostles teach, what do they teach? Their own ideas? Human philosophies and wisdom? No. The Word of God. So when we see here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What we can really substitute with that, if you want to, is the content of their teaching, which is the Word of God. So they devoted themselves to the Word of God, preached faithfully by those whom God approved. That's the number one thing that they focused on, the Word of God preached faithfully by those whom God approved. Secondly, fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship, meeting together in fellowship, is not only good for our sense of well-being, as you know it is, it's also good for our souls. It is good for our sense of well-being, and it's also healthy for our souls. We need it. We need to be meeting together, not only on Sunday mornings. Anytime we can meet together with other believers, don't you just get charged up. There's a brother that I meet with weekly, and I'm telling you, every time I go away from that meeting, I'm blessed. It just helps me. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need to meet together. It's good for us, especially people who love Jesus. Maybe he's on fire about something that week, and maybe you're struggling. Guess what? It rubs off on you. You go away saying, hmm, I'm glad I met with my brother. We need fellowship. It is good. But the word fellowship signifies that we have something in common, doesn't it? You can't fellowship with those that you 
are totally opposed to, have totally opposing views, you can't fellowship with them. Fellowship signifies we have something in common. Look at 1 John. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. That word fellowship that's used here in Acts 4.24, I mean, I'm sorry, I got it mixed up. Acts 2.42, that word fellowship is used eight times in the New Testament. Eight times, lots of different books. The highest collection of that word three times in 1 John chapter 1. He uses it three times in 1 John chapter 1. Here's two of those instances. Listen, listen to this. He says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. What does he mean by that, light, darkness? Well, of course he means God's holy, perfect, pure, upright, righteous, altogether. In him is no darkness at all. What does he mean by that? No sin, no impurity, nothing unrighteous or unholy, only perfect and glorious. Now, if that's true about God, and it should be true about his followers as well. And that's his point in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we go around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, while habitually, uncaringly walking in darkness. He, he doesn't mean you occasionally sin. It breaks your heart, you feel dirty, and you repent of it. He makes that clear later on in the same chapter in verse 9. So he's not talking about perfection. Not at all. We're not a church that preaches any type of perfectionism. You'll never attain to that until you're in heaven. But you're made right in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. When he looks at you, he sees you as righteous because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. However, you still sin occasionally. Like we say, we're not sinless, but as Christians, we sin less because we hate our sin now. It's not a part of our new nature. And so he's saying, if we say we have fellowship with God, I'm reconciled to him. But I still live like the old Cohen, not caring about my sin, actually kind of liking it. Well, actually really liking it, looking forward to when I can do it more. He says, you're a liar. You don't have fellowship with God. You lie and you don't practice the truth. And he's right. If I'm living that way, I don't practice the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, walking in fellowship, obeying this word, loving this word, wanting to obey it, knowing that the more I walk in it and the more I obey it, the more Jesus I get and the more closely I walk to Jesus. If I do that, look at this. We have fellowship with one another. See that? There's our word, fellowship with one another. That's our Acts 2.42 type of fellowship. They had fellowship, why? Because they were all walking in obedience to the word of God. They were believing it, they were loving it, they were seeing that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of all those Old Testament scriptures. And they said, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one. And even Gentiles were coming in later on, as we'll see in this book. And they had fellowship, why? Because they had Jesus in common. They had fellowship because they had Jesus in common, and they all loved him. See, they were united under the truth. Look at this. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's this continual cleansing, by the way. John uses this form of Greek that doesn't always come out in English. You always lose something when you translate. It's, 
he uses a lot of times these continual sins. Like when he says, if we walk in him, we don't sin. He's going to say that later on. Well, you can read that and quickly feel like a loser. But what he means is you don't continually walk in types of sin like that. It's not a part of who you are anymore. Like you just love to do it. So Jesus continually cleanses us from sin because we're continually believing in him. That's how we have fellowship with one another. We're united under the truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the only way to be saved. Next, it says that they walked, uh, they were focused on the breaking of bread. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. I believe this is probably a reference to maybe two different types of things. It's I believe it's definitely a a reference to meeting together because later on in the text it says that they received their food, um, verse 46, day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with generous hearts. So it's definitely a reference to just eating together. But I think it's also a reference to communion. Whenever we were missionaries, we would meet together for a weekly Bible study with some other missionaries. This is good for us because if you've never been on the mission field, you know that you give and give and give and give, and there's not a lot around you that fills you back up. Coming to church on Sundays like this, I remember when we would come home on furloughs, and we would just come to a church, and oh my gosh, it was so good. And I would look around because I was just praising. I was like, this is so good. You guys don't realize how good you have it because you're just used to it. You go on the mission field and you know why you go to the mission field. You don't go there because everything's right and good and they're doing it right. You go there to help them. Maybe they don't even know Jesus at all. I talked to pastors who, after about a year of being around him and teaching him, I believe truly got saved. So here we have a pastor, because he was totally different. So here we have a pastor not even saved in his church. Vain, prideful. Oh, ugh, it's just, you could taste it when you were around him. And then about a year later, humble, caring, hungry for the truth. Such a change in him. So it's churches like that, that you're at every Sunday, and you're just like, oh gosh, this preaching. (laughs) Oh God. Oh, these songs. Oh, it's just like, not in a judgmental way. It's just, it was hard. So we'd have to meet together weekly as missionaries to do a Bible study with each other, kind of fill each other up. One thing that we also did during those Bible studies is we took communion together. We took communion at a little Bible study at our kitchen table in our house with other missionaries. It was good for us. We needed to do that. We wanted to do that. Well, these people would want to do it even more. I believe this is also a reference to communion. Because think, think of who they were. They were the only Christians on planet Earth at that time. The church was just born. Where else are they going to take communion? In the synagogue? No. Synagogue wasn't serving communion. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah yet. Not all of them, not all the Jews. So if you were going to take communion in obedience to the word of God, you're going to have to do it there together in your homes, at the kitchen table, during the Bible study. So I believe this is also a reference to them taking communion in obedience to the word of God. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me, he said. So if you were going to obey him, you'd have to do it together. So I think this breaking of bread 
is definitely the breaking of bread that's referred to in 46, but I believe it also refers to communion. One reason why we always take it every Sunday. Some of you maybe have visited and said, oh, I'm used to churches just doing it every quarter. Yeah, because there's a verse in Romans 5 that says, you shall take communion once a quarter, right? I mean, it started somewhere. And I'm saying the early church, were, they were devoted to it, it says. That's one reason why we take it every Sunday. Lastly, it says that they were also focused on prayer. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. You know, the first recorded prayer, the first recorded prayer that we have of them praying in the book of Acts after the Holy Spirit was poured out is in chapter 4. Turn there with me. Chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. I want to show you what they were praying about. Because if we can see what the early apostles were praying about right after the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, right after the church was birthed, it's going to help us to see maybe a bit better what should we be praying about, right? What were they praying about in chapter 4, verses 23 through 31? Well, let me give you some context to what happened. They were preaching. They were preaching Jesus Christ is crucified. And Jesus Christ is the Messiah, risen again from the dead. Well, as you might recall, some of the Pharisees even paid the soldiers who were guarding the tomb, who saw it happen. The angel descends. It says they fall down like dead men. We're told later on the apostles, not the apostles, no. The Pharisees paid those soldiers to keep their lips closed about it. Hey, we want you to tell them Everybody who talks to you about this, that his disciples came and stole the body at night. Capiche? Here's some money. Keep it zipped. That's how badly they wanted this covered up. They said, we're going to pay you to lie. How's that sound? Us God followers? Such hypocrisy. So guess what? These apostles start preaching that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's risen from the dead. And these same Pharisees say, well, we can't have that business. So they arrest them. And they, at this point, they threaten them. Hey, if you do this again, it's not going to be pretty. So zip it. Y'all are free to go now. So they let them go this time. Listen to this, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, saying, Sovereign Lord. Here's the first recorded prayer in Acts after the Holy Spirit's poured out. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting? They quote scripture when they preach and they quote scripture when they pray. Maybe something we should learn from. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They quote that saying, God, this is what's happening. This this that you prophesied through David, this is it. This is it. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what? To do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. That's a whole sermon in itself. And now, Lord, 
Look upon their threats. Pay attention to this next part. Listen to what they're actually asking and notice what they're not asking. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to do what? To speak the word of God with boldness. Listen to what they prayed. They didn't pray, Lord, Please keep the bad guys away from us. They're scary, and we're afraid we're going to get hurt. They didn't pray that. They didn't pray, Lord, please take away our trouble. They didn't pray that. They prayed, Lord, help us to preach the word boldly, no matter what. Amen? I mean, look how focused they were on this truth getting out to the people. Lord, help us to preach it no matter what. And that's what they did. That's what they did, because next time they preached it, guess what? These bad guys scooped them up again and whipped them severely. We're talking, you would be limping away as they let you go. And that's what they did. They whipped them, and it says that Peter and John went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. That's what it says. Go look it up yourself. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. We avoid suffering like the plague in America. And we fill churches that tell you God will keep you from suffering. We do. I mean, look at the churches that just pack out thousands upon thousands upon thousands. What do they tell you? Exactly what your tickling ears want to hear. God will make you healthy. God will make you wealthy. You'll never, ever suffer. And we say, that God sounds pretty good. Because guess what? I don't like suffering anyway. Do you like money? Heck yes. Well, this God will make you rich. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> You just come and, and you just keep giving money. And we promise you keep giving and, and, God, and God will give back to you. Just, 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 you just got to trust us on that. And if you get sick, well, you better pray that God will heal you. And if you don't get healed, well, then something's wrong with your faith. But, you know, you're probably fine. So just keep coming and keep giving. And if you get sick, don't worry. We'll pray for you. But bless your heart, if you stay sick, something's wrong with you. And you're not a part of the cool kids club anymore. And people buy it. People eat it up like Thanksgiving dinner. And they fill churches. And the man up on stage gets real rich. And then guess what? He dies and he goes to hell because he's a false prophet. That's why the apostles' teaching was the first thing mentioned. Because the truth is what sets you free. And the truth will show you darkness from light. The truth is what exposes the darkness. Let me just get a tissue. Which is why I believe the apostles' teaching was the first thing mentioned. Next. Look at verse 43. Verse 43. So those are the four things the early church was focused on. The rest of the paragraph flows out of those. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That's great. That's really great. But let me tell you the primary reason why wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. If you read through the Gospels, what you'll see is very rarely does Jesus lead with a miracle. He doesn't usually come out of the gate with the miracle. He usually preaches some truth, teaches some truth, and then afterwards does a miracle. Again, I chose my words very carefully. I didn't say always. I said usually. That's how he does it. Usually, okay? Because there are instances where he just does a miracle and says, hey, don't tell anyone. It's not time. But usually when he's teaching a crowd, preach miracle. Why? Because the miracle was God's stamp of approval upon the message. The miracle was the stamp of approval upon the message. The reason why these apostles were doing signs and wonders is it was God's way of showing everyone these are the ones whom you should listen to. You'll notice as you go through the book of Acts, the only ones doing miracles are either the apostles or close companions of the apostles. The only ones that actually had the gospel. Okay? that were doing these amazing signs and wonders, all right? That's why they were doing signs and wonders. The signs and wonders were supposed to point to the message. Why am I laboring this point so much? Because signs and wonders were never an, an, an end in themselves. They weren't. A sign or a wonder is supposed to point you to the truth of the Word of God. And if someone's doing a sign or a wonder, air quotes, in this age, and it's not pointing people to the Word of God... Watch out, you're being deceived because guess what? The wicked one can also do signs and wonders. Remember in Exodus, the magicians around Pharaoh, they were copying some of these things that God was doing. Not quite as cool as God did it, not quite as powerful, but they were copying enough that Pharaoh said, hey, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, look, my guys can do that too. I don't believe you. They weren't signs and wonders that were pointing people to the truth. They were signs and wonders that were what? Deceiving people. So signs and wonders are great, but they're not an end in themselves. They're supposed to point to the truth. And that's why the capital A apostles were the ones doing them, because this was God saying, they've got the truth, believe them. And look at verses 44 and 45. What were some of the characteristics that were going on in this early church who were united under the truth, in fellowship with each other, breaking bread, praying together. Verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Because they were united under one truth. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had Need. Now, if you want a bit more commentary on that, you can find it later on in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, because we get to actually see what it looked like. They, they start doing it and give a, a bit more commentary on it in chapter 4. Look at verses 32 through 37. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, there's truth. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. Why? For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. And it tells about Joseph, uh, a very rich man. This was the same Joseph that laid Jesus in the tomb that no one had ever been laid in and wrapped his body in linen. He was a very rich man. Uh, He's also very generous. So this is, um, well, this could be the same Joseph. It, It might not be, but what's the point? The point is this. When it says that they had all things in common, it's meaning they loved each other so much that they were willing to sacrifice to make sure that no one was in need. That's how much they loved each other. That's what real truth and real unity under the truth looks like, a love for one another. Remember Ashley Heath, whenever she was attending with us in the past? She had visited other churches around. You know why she said she landed at this one? Well, because we were focused on the truth. But you know one of the main things she said? She said, I could tell y'all loved each other and that y'all loved me. I thought, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Made me proud of my little flock. I guess I shouldn't be proud because God's doing that in y'all's heart. It made me proud to be a part of this flock. God made people who actually love each other meet together. And one thing I also love about this church is I've gone to churches in the past, and as soon as the pastor says, amen, and everybody's done, I mean, it's like a mad dash for the door. Who can get to the restaurant first? Who can get in line first? Right? One thing I noticed about this church is Boy, it's like 30 minutes after I'm done preaching. It's like 12.30, and I almost have to like kick people out of the building. You guys just love each other so much, you won't stop talking to each other. I love that, right? I love being a part of a church where people actually love each other more than getting to the buffet first. I love that. So in uh, verses 32 through 37, what do we see? That people were loving each other, enough to say, brother, how can I be sitting on this massive plot of land that's just sitting there doing nothing while you're in need? I can't have that. I can't have that. So they sold all those acres and said, apostles, you give this to any of our brothers and sisters who need it. That's how united they were. Again, you got to think of it. They were the only Christians on planet earth. (laughs) They were it. So they were so united they were like, it's us. We're the, we're the only ones. And we're united in this truth. And isn't Jesus wonderful? And isn't it easy to make sacrifices for people you love? It is. You're less willing to make big sacrifices for somebody you don't even know. You're much less willing. Some guy comes to you, comes to you on the street. Hey, man, can you bum a hundred bucks? Like, uh, probably not. Um, What's going on? Well, it gives you this whole story. You're like, no, probably not, my friend. Um, However, someone you love dearly says to you, listen, kind of falling on some hard times, and I just don't even have enough money for groceries right now, and I hate to ask you this, but can you just help us with groceries, please? Oh, my gosh. You drive them to the store, buy it for them, take it home, Put it in their refrigerator for them even. Why? Because you love them so much, right? It's easy to make sacrifices for people you love. In our previous church that we went to years ago, there was um, a little girl. She was born with a, a disorder that was just, she, she was not going to live to be an old lady. 
I mean, it was just known. But if she didn't get a kidney transplant at around the age of 10, well, she wasn't going to live to see 11. Her father gladly, gladly gave her a kidney. He was a match. Do you think he had to think about it very long? Oh, gosh, a kidney. Well, that might hurt. And how long's recovery? How much is that going to cost? Yeah, I'm going to, th- I'm going to have to think about it, sweetie. I'm not so sure. Now, he was thinking, when, how soon can we get this done? You know why? He loves his daughter. What father wouldn't do that? I should say, what good father wouldn't do that for his own daughter? It was easy. It was an easy choice. We're not talking about giving up lands. We're talking about giving a kidney. It's easy to want to give to someone who you love. And I think that's all we need to see here. I don't think this is um, a blueprint for us to say, you better not say anything's your own ever or else you don't love the church. I don't think it's saying that at all. I think it's just showing us how pure and deep and rich the love for God was, which showed itself in the love for your neighbor. What are the two greatest commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm telling you right now that love your neighbor as yourself won't happen unless the first one happens. Loving neighbor as self flows out of love for God. They had a deep, rich, true theology of God and knew him well, and that's it made it easy for them to want to give to others. And I think that's what we take away from this is just how much they had in common because of the truth and just how much they loved each other. Now, let's look at the rest of the section. Let me get back to it here. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to look at verse 46, though. Day by day, attending the temple together and, look at this, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Remember earlier I said certain things in the culture can creep in and keep God's blessing from being upon the church. One thing that's crept into our American church, let me just go ahead and tell you what it is right now. It's this consumerism mindset, this consumerism mentality. What do I mean? Well, in America, we have a consumerism mindset. We do. You go to a restaurant and you show up, pay money, and you get the food. Hey, I'm here. Here's money. I want food. Now, guess what? Someone else has already thought up that menu, learned how to make all that food, purchased the building, cooks it for you, all that. Somebody else has already done all that footwork, and you just show up, pay money, and get it. It works like that on vacations, too. You show up, pay the money, and guess what? You expect... Somebody has made this hotel room or suite really nice. Somebody's thought out the aesthetics of the room, and guess what? They did. Somebody's cleaned it. You expect that because you paid money. Somebody else is doing the cleaning. Somebody else is working on the aesthetics, and somebody else keeps it nice in here. Makes my bed. While I'm gone, I come back. Oh, my bed's made. Of course it is. I paid money. Somebody else does everything. We bring that into the church, too. 
I show up, I tithe, and you're responsible for making church happen to me. Really? It's crept into us. We think, well, that's how church is supposed to be too. Listen, I tithe. And pastor, you work full-time. You're supposed to make church happen to me. I just show up and I get fed. Make church happen to me. Okay, see you next Sunday. And then we wonder, why am I not so fulfilled? Why is this church not giving me everything I want? Right? We do that. I know we do that. Because we've had, and this is not, I'm not downing anyone, but we've had people leave because other churches were doing other programs that they wanted to go to. And I'm still friends with those people. There's no bad blood. I'm, I'm not so naive to think this is the only good church in Gadsden. And I'm also not so naive as to think that as a pastor, my main goal for you is that you be made into the image of Jesus Christ because that's God's main goal for you. I'm not so naive as, as to think that God can't make you into the image of his son better at a different church. I know that that's possible. So I've told everyone who's left, everyone who's actually told me that they've left and then left, I've told each one of them, I want you to be wherever God wants you to be. And I meant it with all my heart because I'm not the only pastor who can love them or who can help them. But I will say this, if you're going to another church because that other church has done all the legwork for you and they've come up with this program and somebody's leading it, somebody's thought it up, somebody keeps it going every week. Well, guess what? You know what that means? Somebody's thought it up. Somebody keeps it going every week. Somebody's making it good and all that. Well, what about when they're not doing that anymore? You run to another church that has another program? What I'm saying is this. The early church met from home to home, it says. It doesn't say in each of the apostles' homes because they were the ones who were supposed to think up and do everything. No. You want to experience church as it's supposed to be in the New Testament. You're led by the Holy Spirit. You yourself, led by the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to Him. And that means you do church too. And you help others experience church because we're the church. This building's not the church. You know that, right? I mean, I've heard people say, oh, I can't believe you would do that in the house of God. <laughs> what if we move out of this church building and a business comes in here? Cubicles. Are those cubicles more holy than other cubicles? Because this is a church? No. The church is not the steeple. The church is the people. Amen. And so what I'm trying to say to you is this. You want to experience God's blessing? Get rid of consumerism that's in your brain. Don't think, I show up, I pay my tithe. Cohen, you make church happen. Seth, you make church happen. Make church happen to me. Golly, why don't I feel fulfilled? Because you're not being the church. The church met from home to home. They did things in their home. Why? Because they wanted to. They said, hey, let's meet at my home. I want to do this. I'll set it up. You come. I'll cook. And they did that because they wanted to. Each person contributed something as he or she felt led because you've all been given spiritual gifts. So what I'm trying to say is there's a cultural thing that's in our culture that I think is keeping us from 
receiving God's blessing. And it's, we're not enough like these guys. We're not enough like these guys. We've been too Americanized. Verse 47, that says that they were praising God and had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why? Because they didn't just say, hey, apostles, um, when are y'all going to do X, Y, and Z over here? Because you know, I think there's so-and-so over here that wants to hear about Jesus. So if you'd hurry up and get over to my end of town, then, then maybe they can. No, it says day by day people were being saved. You know why? Because day by day everybody was being the church. I get it. Some people aren't as strong in some areas as another. I'm, I'm not saying we all should be like little pastors. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you're walking in obedience to the word of God, according to the giftings he's given you, the church will grow. It will. If not numerically, spiritually. But both is good too, isn't it? <laughs> Listen to what Charles Simeon said. He was a minister back in the 1700s about this last verse. It's highly probable that the exalted piety, that means like godliness, the exalted piety and unbound charity of the first converts were greatly instrumental to the conversion of those around them. You see that? He said, their elevated godliness and charity of all of them, he said, it's probably what led to other souls being saved. Every one of them was a preacher in his own house. By his actions, at least, if not by words, and oh, what might not be hoped for if all who profess religion breathed the spirit that displayed itself at that period of the church. Let this be born in the mind as an incentive to a continual progress in holiness. And let us strive to, so to make our light shine before men that others, belong, that others beholding our good works might see and glorify our Father who is in heaven. I love that. I love that. So let's be church, let's be like the early New Testament church and have a mindset more like theirs as well. We're focused on the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And that's enough. Father, we pray that you would please bless us as your church. Help us to walk in the light as you were in the light. And so have fellowship with one another is what your word says. I pray, Lord, that you would please help us to continue to love one another with all of our hearts, Lord, but that's got to flow out of, number one, us loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, please help us, of course, to be shielded and protected from things like the world, the flesh, the devil, so that we can be a pure and holy church that pleases you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.